first reading it can be found on page 599 of the Church Bibles beside you. Page 599, it's Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is due that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work for our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from the first book of John, chapter 2 verses 12 to 14, and you find it on page 1225. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Please do have a seat. Thank you very much for those two readings. For those of you who may be new or have just arrived since the service began, my name is Jitesh. I'm the associate vicar here, and it's great to be here to start a new series that we're going to be in over the next few months. Hopefully on your way in, you were given a copy of our latest news sheet, and in there, there is a term card. Uh, can anyone, everyone find their term card? It should be in there somewhere. 
And that outlines what we're doing over the next few months. And in the mornings, we're going to be starting a series looking at the whole expanse of a lifetime and what it means to be a follower of Christ in every age and stage of life. Last term, you might remember, we looked at breadthways across the everyday activities that we do as disciples of Jesus, a widthways cross-section of Christian discipleship. This is a lengthways cross-section, in another sense, of what it looks like in every single age of life. I know where many here are of uh, one of these particular ages that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, and that sermon will particularly apply to you. And some of you might be in denial, thinking that you're in one particular age, and actually you're in another, if we're honest. But for all of us, I hope this equips us, this series, to look at how to support our fellow followers of Christ who are of different ages and stages to us. Perhaps we've been there ourselves, perhaps we're one day going to be there at their stage. And this is a chance for us to think, as a family of God, how we can do that together. But it's my privilege to begin with by kicking off a series and just introducing the themes that we're going to be looking at. And can I encourage you especially to look at Psalm 90, which was our first reading, and that was on page 599 of the Church Bibles. It would be a great help if you had that open in front of you. As you find that, again, I'm going to pray for us. Well, Lord, we thank you that you've called us to follow you for a lifetime and all that that means. Thank you that you're with us always, through every age. And we pray now as we look at your word and consider it, You might teach us your ways, you might instruct us in your counsel, and that we might know you afresh here in this place. Come, Lord Jesus, in our midst and speak, we pray. Amen. Well, Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm in the Bible, we think. It's written by Moses, and the preface says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. And this should straightaway give us great encouragement about reading this psalm, because Moses is a man who has really lived life. If you think about his story, he's been through, by the end of his life, just about every single experience possible. And he's followed God through them all, from birth, a contested birth, through to a a violent young adulthood where he murdered someone, through to exile in the wilderness, and then being called in old age as a leader of Israel's uh, slavery into freedom journey, and then those 40 long years of wilderness wandering and battle leadership. He's experienced it all. And so when he writes in this psalm, especially about the ages of life, he knows what he's talking about. He's been there in front of us. And if he's, reading, uh, if he's writing this especially at the end of his life, which we think, then he has a lot of wisdom to share with us about life's extent. I just very briefly wanted to share two things that are pointed to by the words that he writes as he reflects on a lifetime. And the first one is this, a lesson to learn for all of us, that in our lifetimes we are to make God our home. Verses 1 and 2, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In the context of the time, Israel, the people of God, had never had a permanent home. Their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
had been wandering nomads. Then they'd spent centuries in Egypt, a foreign land that wasn't their home. And by the end of his lifetime, Moses has been leading them around in the wilderness from place to place without a fixed address. They'd never really had an actual home, a physical home. But despite that, they had had a home all along, and their home was in God. That he was their dwelling place, it says, throughout all generations. Their place of security, of comfort, and of rest. And Israel were being taught this, especially in their wilderness wanderings. They'd been promised, the promised land ahead of them, something very exciting, a place to live in comfort. But God had to teach them in advance that that isn't the place that they were to call their permanent home. And so for 40 years, he leads them around in the wilderness from place to place, with the only permanence being his presence, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, saying that actually I am your home. Wherever I am, that is where you are to call home. And it took a long time for, le- for them to learn it, and I'm not entirely sure they ever did quite truly learn it. And for us, as God's people, this is a lesson he will try to teach us in our lifetimes as well, that he is our home. The place you go to after church today, you might call home, but that isn't your permanent home. It really isn't. For some of us, the home that is the family home that you might inherit one day, that isn't the place you can call home. One day, for both of those places, either it will be taken from you or you will be taken from it. It will happen to each and every one of us. That isn't home. It really isn't. The place that we can call home, which is fixed which does not change, which we can have with us wherever we go in the world, is him. He can be home. We can find our dwelling place in him. And if you haven't learnt this lesson, or life will feel very unstable and uncertain, even if you have a fixed home. But if you learn this lesson, well, life's challenges and pressures and the uncertainties of human existence are met in that place of sure security. God is home. He is your home. We know that one day that will be true permanently. The book of Revelation speaks about the fact that now the dwelling place with God is with men and women. And that is heaven. Our dwelling will be with him forever. And if that doesn't thrill you or excite you, you need to learn it in advance because you're going to be living that for many years. That he is home, that your home is with him. There's stuff around you, the place you live in full of wonderful things perhaps, isn't home. It really isn't. It's with him. And how do you know that you've learned this? Well, I'm going to share a bit of an embarrassing story that will help illustrate this. Um, One of the signs I think that I know that I'm heading towards middle age um, is that I've recently taken great delight in joining the National Trust and going round all its properties. There's some wonderful ones round here, actually. And surveying stately homes and wandering the grounds and feeling very kind of on the edge of middle age. 
And some of the homes, if you haven't uh, enjoyed such uh, wonderful things, are lived in by the original families, and they open up part of the home for people to wander around and visit. But at the end of the day, the house closes, and actually they get to reclaim the house as their home and live in it. The visitors aren't allowed to touch the furniture. They're not allowed to open up the books in the library. They're not allowed to do any of that. They can just wander around and look in amazement. Whereas the families that live there, they can do whatever they want. It's their home. They can sit on the sofas. They can use the library. They can use the kitchen should they wish. It's their home. And that is the difference between having God as home or not. For one, you are a visitor. You're there to take in the sights. Oh, these things are interesting. Oh, that is wonderful. But at the end of the day, while you call somewhere else home, (laughs) you go home. But for the other, actually, it's your place of comfort. That one's all said and done, that's the place where you live. It's your family home. That you can sit in comfort and security and peace. And that's what God offers here. The dwelling place throughout all our generations, as Moses says. God is home. Okay, well that was the first one. The second life lesson I think that he points to here is that in our lifetimes, we're to put our times in God's hands. Moses speaks of two separate timescales he's aware that is at work in life. And the first one is God's. Verse 2, he says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 4, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Time means very little to God. He lives forever. He lives both outside of time and inside of time at every single point of time simultaneously. He created time. He is Lord of time. Time has no mastery over him. He has complete mastery over it. That's his time scale. But the second time scale that Moses highlights in complete contrast is ours. Verse 5, he says that we are fleeting and temporary, like new grass that springs up in the morning, but by evening it's drying with it. Verse 10, he speaks of the length of our days being maybe 70 or 80, and that their span is but trouble and sorrow, and it quickly passes by, we fly away. In direct contrast to God's eternity is our finitude. We're short and temporary. And actually, our lives, in the grand scheme of things, may not have much effect at all because of that. Compared to God's great, vast timescale. And many of us will be painfully aware of the power time has over us. You look in the mirror and think, who is this person looking back at me? I don't recognize who this person is. Something's changed. Time has mastery over us, unfortunately. And these two separate timescales of God's eternity and our very limited finitude could cause us to despair if we think about it. Oh, what's the point? What's the point in life if we're just so short and temporal? In fact, there's a hint of this, I think, in this psalm of Moses' despair at it. 
And in the Bible, the greatest man who despaired at this is the writer of the Ecclesiastes, who spent, spent a whole book saying, vanity of vanities, all is in vain because life is so short and temporary. What's the point? Some of us may feel like that sometimes. What's the point if it's so short and so fleeting? But interestingly, there is a solution to this. And the writer of Ecclesiastes puts it like this, saying of God, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity into the hearts of men. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added from it, nothing taken away from it. The God who put that sense of longing for eternity in our hearts can make everything beautiful in its time, including our lives. And everything he does lasts forever. And so the solution is not to see these as two separate timelines, but actually to put your timeline in his, to put your times in his hands. Because everything that he does through you will have eternal significance and will last beyond your lifetime. And everything that he does in your lifetime won't be meaningless. He has that power to make it beautiful, to make it have the character of eternity, and to ultimately outfit you for eternity. This is why David prays in Psalm 31, My times, O Lord, are in your hands. It just belongs to you, short as they are. They belong to you, every age and stage of my life. They're yours, Lord. And doing this means that God can do some amazing things through the times of our lives. He can prepare you in advance through experiences for things that he will ask you to do in a lifetime, decades to come, perhaps. He can connect your future to your present prophetically revealing it in advance. He can even take your past and wrap it into your future, taking past mistakes, hurts and failures and redeeming them to be sources of blessing for the future. That's his power as the one who has complete mastery over time. And that's what he offers if we put our times in his hands. That our lives will have significance. They won't be meaningless. It won't be vanity and vain. And let me end with a story of this. It's quite challenging. The early church father, Polycarp, an interesting name, was a young man, as a young man, reported to have been a disciple of the Apostle John, uh, mentored by him and discipled as a young man and learned through those experiences truths that outfitted him for a lifetime. And he needed it. Because later in his life, he was called to lead the early church through one of its worst times of persecution and suffering. And eventually, in his old age, in his 80s, he was arrested and threatened with the most awful death to be torn apart by wild beasts. Or if that didn't scare him, to be burnt alive. And the Roman judge in front of him offered him an alternative. He said, revile Christ and I will set you free. That's all you've got to do. But Polycarp's very famous reply was this. These 86 years I have been his servant and he has done me no wrong. 
How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Looking back at his life, because he'd put his entire lifetime in God's hands, he says, he's just done nothing wrong with my life all these years. How could I possibly revile him? How could I do that? He's been trustworthy and faithful with all of it. Yes, I've been led to this point for him. But he's done all things well. I'm not going to. There's no chance. He's been trustworthy with the lifetime I've put in his hands. Bring it on. Bring on the lions, he later said. And for us, I I can guarantee at the end of our lives, if you have done this, you will be able to look back and say, he has done me no wrong. I could never revile him. Bring on whatever is ahead, because he's been trustworthy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are the Lord of our lives and the Lord of our times and ages. And we pray and ask, Lord, help us to entrust our lifetime to you, finite and as temporary as it is. We know that you can do wonderful things through it that last forever. We pray and ask that we might learn that truth to make you our home forever and that you might be pleased to use us to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.